and welcome to what is my podcast about. Uh, this is a por- podcast. This is a podcast where we sit down fortnightly and discuss a topic to figure out what we're going to make a podcast about. I am your host, Peter Graves Akerley. I'm joined, as always, by my faithful co-hosts, Keith Ramsey. I don't know if I put it as faithful, but... Keith, you damn well better not be sleeping around with other podcasts. And Matthew Grace. I put it as faithful. Hello. Thank you, man. I knew I could trust you. Uh, how you guys... It's already starting off controversial. <laughs> this is already... I don't know why, but every time me or Matt does the intro, it gets worse. And <laughs> Oh, God. Uh... I was talking more about the fact that, like... That was like a non-bullying interaction between you two. It's true. Mm. It's because me and Matt are friends and apparently you've been sleeping around with other podcasts. Why am I saying sleeping? <laughs> it has nothing to do with sleeping. Apparently you've been recording podcasts with other people. What's going on in the world? Can we move on from this intro? Uh, so a few things to come up that I did want to bring up with you guys. Uh, the first one is Space Jam 2 got a, a more full-fledged trailer. And uh, it got a little wild. It, it's... I'm going to be honest, it's a little bit weird, and I don't know how I feel about it yet. Um, Time will tell once the movie actually comes out. My favorite thing is how there's a bit of a twist on the idea, because in the original Space Jam movie, it was the villain was targeting the Toons, and they ended up dragging Michael Jordan into their fight. Uh, Whereas this time, it's very clearly the AI villain is 100% targeting fucking LeBron James and, and his family, and he's dragging the Toons into the fight with him, I guess? And they're the lo- losers of, like, the... What was it? Something-verse? Uh, the... Oh, it's like, like, mainframe... It's pretty much, the, like, the world of Warner Brothers IP, because we yeah. see the Game of Thrones logo, uh, White Walkers and Dragon Show, the Flintstones, and for some fucking reason, the characters from A Clockwork Orange. Yep, that one was a strong choice to put into a kid's Which movie. is weird that I say that that's, like, significantly worse than having a Game of Thrones character show up. Well, it's because everyone's just kind of purged Game of Thrones from their memory at this point. <laughs> you see them and they're like, ah, oh, those are fun little characters, I wonder what they're from. God. I am legitimately excited for this movie, just because fucking Space Jam's a great movie, and... <laughs> They're probably going to ruin it, but whatever, let's have the highest of hopes until they do. <laughs> was the first one really that good, though? <laughs> no, but it was still great. <laughs> it was an objectively not good movie that I love. That's it's just the way the world is sometimes, Keith. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, fuck. But yeah, the movie looks silly, based on the trailer. Yeah, and that's the thing, like, where a lot of movies were starting to move towards theaters possibly being a thing again, that are, like profitable i guess uh, a lot of franchises have been putting out little teasers and stuff with it another one to mention is ghostbusters afterlife put a little teaser i'm so excited for that one that teaser actually looks fucking great have you seen this one matt i have not uh so you remember the stay puff marshmallow man i do uh well it's paul rudd's character in a grocery store and he's passing a bag of marshmallows that starts moving and he looks over and a little tiny stay puff bursts out of it oh and my looks God. all cute he's like oh what's this he puts his finger up and it bites him <laughs> And then he looks over, and the Safe Puff Marshmallows are fully aware they're marshmallows, I'm guessing, because they're massacring themselves over like, fires and making themselves over fires. Oh my god. It's the kind of thing where, like, the first time you watch it, if you're not explicitly told that this is a teaser for Ghostbusters, you think it's a video of Paul Rudd tripping on acid. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, it's fucking great, and it... I was already excited for that movie, even though God knows when it's going to gonna come out but now that we've seen the teaser i'm that much more excited yeah i'm hoping it soon 
Uh, another teaser we got, and this one was actually very recent, was uh, Fast 9 released their second trailer with a new date for the theaters. Yeah, we got and that yesterday, did we? It was like two days ago. Two days ago, yeah, sure. Regardless, we now have an official date, which is great, because I don't mean Keith was super excited <laughs> yeah. for this movie last year when it was supposed to come out, and then fucking COVID and theaters not being a thing, and they definitely weren't going to push it to any time other than during summer and peak corona selling times. Yeah. So, got pushed back to this summer, and hopefully this time they actually stick through with it. They've done what has been prophesized for a long time with Fast and Furious, which is they've strapped rockets to a car and are sending it to space based on the trailer. Which, we know that they want to do at least one more. Like, it's like, ten will happen. That's already been, like, established. If this car does go to space, I don't know where they go next. The bottom of the ocean, Keith. That's not up. They gotta, like, it's gonna crash from space into the ocean, and Fast 10 is just gonna be all about them driving cars into the ocean to rescue their friends who are now at the bottom of the ocean. You know, honestly, at this point, I wouldn't be shocked if, like, Fast 10, we got the trailer, and fucking Thanos showed up snapping, like, cars out of existence, so Vin Diesel has to gather, like, some sort of, like, I don't know, the Infinity Rims or something to defeat him. Once they're in space, they can go anywhere, because up is just a matter of perspective at that point. The thing is... If it does involve Thanos, it's not going to be Thanos like the Avengers. It's going to be Thanos driving a monster truck the entire movie. What are you talking about? The Thanos car? Yeah. What, or Thanos car? Oh, the Thanos, Thanos car. car. Yeah. Oh, fuck. That's God. an old meme. Now, there was one other movie trailer I want to talk about. And this one, I didn't really hear anything about it, but I saw the trailer recently. It looked pretty good. Uh, it's called Those Who Wish Me Dead. I haven't heard anything about that. Uh, so, it's at first I thought it was because it... Starts off with Angelina Jolie uh, in one of those watchtowers, the fire ones. I was like, did those fuckers actually make a mo- like a video game movie of Firewatch? <laughs> Jesus. But no, it's actually about these people that are trying to kill this kid, and he stumbles upon her Firewatch tower. But apparently, she's like, you know, classic grizzled action hero. I was like, I let people die, and I'm in this isolation out here. And now she's got to redeem herself by saving this kid. Meanwhile, the forest burns down, which I would argue is, you know, saving the kid's life is pretty good. But you had one job here, Angelina Jolie. Yeah. Uh, there's another trailer I kind of want to briefly talk about that recently got released. Uh, which is apparently after Zack Snyder was told he can't have complete and utter control over the Justice League universe, he decided to create a movie about zombies involving a zombie tiger uh, called Army of the Dead starring Dave Bautista. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's got fast-running zombies, zombie tigers. I'm going to be honest, the first time I watched it, I thought I was watching a trailer for a Dead Rising movie because it seems to take place in a mall for a large part of it. Oh, it was... Well, isn't this, like, uh, a pseudo-sequel to, like, The Day of the Living Dead, like, the Romero stuff? I believe so, with the exception that they upped the zombies to more modern standards of what zombies should be like. At least in a movie and not TV series. It goes on for, like, ever. Alright, uh, yeah, that. Yeah, they've been, like, a lot of, again, a lot of trailers have been coming up. Like, another one I haven't mentioned. This is a re-release, but they're doing Advent Children Final Fantasy VII, a 4K edition, which looks like it's adding more stuff into it. Really? Yeah. That'll be interesting to watch. Because the version I watched was, uh, the quality was less than optimal for viewing pleasure. Well, this one's 4K and has Cat Scythe doing more of it, or Cat Sith, or whatever you want to call them. Kate Sith? Something like that? I, I heard I that actually Kate Sith is 100% wrong because the name is Gaelic. Oh, okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just, like, I recently went 
to theaters kind of on a spur of the moment thing where I was just in the vicinity of a theater and I decided to see what movies were out. And I decided to see, uh, fuck, what's it called? Nobody. Uh, which was a fun conversation because I was at dinner and someone asked me what my plans were after dinner. I was like, I'm going to go see nobody. And they were like, are you high right now? Like, is that just your way of saying you're going home and spending your night alone? <laughs> are you being a smart ass? Because I can't tell. <laughs> um, the movie was uh, an enjoyable thing, but it was so weird to me actually sitting in a theater and watching trailers for movies that are going to come out. Yeah. To the point where I went home and researched every single one of the movies because I was like, I gotta know. I, movies are coming out again. That's a new uh, experience yeah, I, I did pretty for much me. the same thing when, we, when I went to see Tenet because I saw that in theaters. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm so excited for theaters to be a thing again. Yeah. Uh, and uh, last bit of movie news, because I guess we're a movie podcast today. Um, we got an announcement about Knives Out, and that is that Knives Out 2 and 3 have been greenlit. Ooh. And it's going to have the return of... Um, Benoit Blanc? Exactly. I'm, I'm pretty into that. I really hope they don't stick with the name Knives Out 2 and Knives Out 3. I want them to do more plays on the name, but have it still be in that same... Yeah, the only thing that's really being confirmed is they are going to do the... It's him doing detective work. It's, like, about him being the detective. But whether parts of, like, the previous cast are going to return in any capacity, that is... Like, nothing's been confirmed. Just that uh, Ryan Johnson has been greenlit to do two and three, and he has full creative control. So it's not, like, a studio thing. It's whatever he wants, he's getting pretty much with these movies. That is so good, because that was one of my favorite things about Knives Out was the fact that it didn't feel like a studio film. It felt like a passion project by a director. And, like, all these intricate details that could not work if you had a whole studio arguing over what kind of details to put in there. Like, the fact that we just got a fucking murder mystery movie in this day and age where not everyone immediately knew what the twist was to the movie. Like, that's fucking mind-blowing yeah. to me. Uh, the only thing I've heard, and this is, again, rumor speculation, but that is that... Uh Darmus's character is going to return it kind of like as the Watson of the story in a sense. That I'm not opposed to that. I definitely think it would fit for her. It's gonna take some justification because her character was mainly there as a red herring to the murder the entire time, so you'd have to have a pretty hard time justifying why she's there long. But I did think she was a very enjoyable character, so I wouldn't be opposed to it. I just Yeah. There's going to be some heavy lifting with regards to explaining why she's now a part of this team. Which, at the same time, it's also kind of wild to think about we have three murder mystery movies coming up because Murder on the Now was also pushed back and that will be coming out this year as well. Coincidence? Or no? Yes? Okay. Just, just checking. You confuse me sometimes, Matthew. <laughs> and then for the last bit of information I have, this is more of sad news for everybody. Uh, but uh, the virtual store for the PS3 and the PS Vita are closing officially in August. Oh no. That's actually a real bummer because I still do occasionally pull up my PS3 to play sometimes. Yeah, so uh, starting in July, you can no longer put uh, currency onto uh, the devices. Uh, but between up until August, you can buy and download. So if you want to keep the things... You might want to get a hard drive and download what you have, because after August, no longer you no longer have access to download it. Makes sense. Which is a shame, because the Vita really got like the short end of a lot of things, because the Vita was actually really good, but it just the PSP did so poorly that yeah. no one trusted the. Vita. No one was yeah. even willing to try the Vita. But the Vita was like I think it was the first like console that came out around that PS3 generation that like. You wanted to play obscure PlayStation 1 game that was never physically released out of the Japan? Guess what? It's on the Vita. Yeah. 
just unfortunately because of its lack of popularity, it never got much support over here. Exactly. Kind of like how fucking the Wii was, or not the Wii, the Wii U was just such a terrible console that people had a real hard time trusting the Switch at first. And I mean, it's gotten to the point where people have faith in it, but. To be fair, the big failing point of the Wii U was also the fact that people couldn't tell if it was a new console or an addition to the Wii. Yeah. Exactly. So, time to talk? I don't know how I feel about you sighing in agony when we're about to talk about one of oh, the no, that, ever. That was just me sighing in agony at the thought of the Wii U, less <laughs> than me sighing about what we're about to talk about. I am very excited to talk about what we're going to talk about. Uh, should note. We did specifically say I wasn't available to record this podcast. That's been resolved. I realized I had my dates wrong. It got pushed back a week, so I'm going to be out of the area next week on this weird island where I was told to bring my own soul. I'll look into it some more, get some more details for you. Regardless. Here we are. I don't get that, actually. I think he's making a reference to the we that we were just shitting on. Oh, okay. Um, So... For those of you who don't read the title, which, as I've stated before, is the right way to watch this or listen to this podcast. Uh, and today, in no way connected to the tournament that Peter's going to. In no way connected to the tournament I'm going to. Uh, today we are talking about Mortal Kombat. It may have initially been the 2021 one that we were going to talk about. Coincidentally, that one also got pushed back a week, just like my tournament. So, uh, who would have guessed? <laughs> who would have guessed? So instead we're going to talk about the 1995 one. Which... Regardless of what you think about it, like, a lot of things don't hang like hold up. The CG gets a little iffy, and they have, like, a lot of weird pacing issues that come up. Yeah. But for the longest time, this was considered the best video game movie. Well, I 100% agree with that sentiment. Like, yes, in recent history, there have been some pretty good video game movies. But a large problem with video game movies up until this point was they generally just took the theme of the video game and just, like, didn't fuck around with anything else. They just kind of wrote their own story and took the character names and shit. Like the Mario Brothers movie. Exactly. This movie, like, you can tell the first 40 minutes or whatever less so, but the majority of this film is just... They knew they wanted to have one-on-one fights between fucking Mortal Kombat characters, and they wrote a plot around that to make it make sense. Yeah, your favorite characters, Johnny Cage, Liu Kang, Sonya, Art. Yep. We'll get into Art. We'll talk about Art in a second. Art's a thing. Okay, because uh, I don't have that much knowledge of Mortal Kombat, and he threw me for a loop. You don't know said. Art? No, I don't. We'll, we'll get there, Matt. Do you know Kano, at least? I do. Okay, good. You know the most important character. He knows all of Sonya's moves. That's true. He does know all of Sonya's moves, except for the one that killed him. <laughs> Actually, I would argue that he knew that move, because he was actively trying to plead with her while he was in it, so that's true. <laughs> so... This movie is great. <laughs> I was, was going to get into it, but I, done. I need to explicitly say before we get started that this movie may be an objectively less than stellar movie, but it is a fantastic movie no matter what you fucking say. And you want to know who directed this movie? Paul Anderson. What? You don't recognize that name? Maybe if we had an SW in the middle there, you might recognize him. Matt, do you still not recognize that name? Uh, Maybe. He did the Resident Evil movies and just recently did the Monster Hunter movie. Oh, uh, that's what... Okay. Okay. He yeah. does video game movies, Matthew. To, but to be fair, if you look at this, there is a trend here. The f- So, I want to point out one thing. He didn't direct Annihilation. He went to do his own horror movie at that time. 
But apparently, the reason he was, like, in an interview, he kind of stated that the reason he was so attached to staying with Resident Evil through the whole span was he saw what happened with Mortal Kombat, and he was scared it would happen again. Yeah. <laughs> Which it, makes perfect sense. Because let's just get out in front of it and say, Mortal Kombat is a 1995 movie is fantastic. Mortal Kombat Annihilation, released two years later, is significantly worse. You know what the wild thing is that I didn't actually fully notice? Only two characters return with the same actors. So I know for a fact it's not Raiden, because I that was the one I was watching and remembered. Is it... Is, does Sonya return? Is it the same Sonya Different actor? actor. Who the fuck are the same actors, then? Liu Kang and Katana. Okay, that... Sure. Sure. <laughs> Fine. But to give them credit, I always thought uh, Ashby, the guy who plays Johnny Cage, was the same actor in both. But then uh, upon watching it, he's like, he looks slightly different. And then I saw the credits, like, it wasn't him. That's... They got someone who looked very close to the actor who played Johnny Cage in the first one. That's fair. But yeah, uh, and just to specify on the Anderson stuff as well, say what you will about the Resident Evil movies, they were still fun. They, they were yeah. bad Resident Evil movies. They were bad as movies that were based in the Resident Evil universe. The first one, actually, I would say was pretty... One and, two, one and two was very rooted within the Resident Evil stuff. It was just after that it kind of went off on its own direction. It was still objectively fun movies. They just were not Resident Evil movies. Which is why, even though I haven't seen Monster Hunter, I'm confident that it's at least a fun movie. Matt, um, you seem to I, really want to cut in here. I haven't seen it yet, and I am very hesitant to see it, because all I hear is that literally nothing happens in the movie, plot-wise. It's just, like a, it's just like a normal game of Monster Hunter. Exactly, like the game Monster Hunter from my They just walk game. around for three hours, and then the monster shows up. You also use uh. fire weapons against dragons who are resistant to fire damage, from what I understand. <sighs> to be fair, any new person can make that mistake. Yeah. Yeah, but... They're literally yeah. new to the world, Matthew. They don't know. Fair enough. They don't have the history that we understand about this. Plus, we've only seen the trailer. For all we know, they try it and then are explicitly told, oh, that's not going to work. That's a fire weapon. That guy's immune to fire damage. And then they'd be like, oh, cool. Let me use my magic rocket launcher and that'll work. <laughs> that'll work better. <laughs> Magically summon rockets into the chamber? Yes, please. Sign me up. I mean, that's pretty much the guy. Yeah. Have iron yeah. sights that have homing capabilities? Great. You go ahead and use those right away. Alright, fuck it. Let's stop <laughs> talking about other movies. But we're really just talking about Anderson. We're really just talking about Anderson, but we should probably try and talk about Mortal Kombat. So, movie opens up. A little bit of plot explanation. There's a tournament that happens every generation, and it's between the residents of Earthrome and the residents of Oatworld. The residents of Oatworld, if they win ten in a row, get to invade Earthrome and kill everyone. It's not explicitly said they'll kill everyone, but it's implicitly said that everyone will die if this happens. Yeah. And they Tons. won the last nine tournaments. Yes. They have it's, to win ten in a row. So if they win this one, we can push yeah. it back for ten generations. But It's said that Earth will become like Oatworld, and when we see Oatworld at the end, it's... Uh, not fun. Not fun. No. So, uh, we... I believe it starts off with the dream sequence, yeah. where Liu Kang is watching... Well. We don't know it's Liu Kang at this point. Regardless, we are watching uh, uh, Shang Tsung kick the shit out of Chan Kang, Liu Kang's little brother. And it, it's just not good. I mean, I would argue it is good because this is probably the biggest gem of this movie. It's true. To be fair, I 
there's something about this I'm going to get into later. But regardless, after Shang Tsung finishes kicking the shit out of Liu Kang's little brother, he grabs him around the throat, points towards the camera, which is presumably Liu Kang's perspective, and says, Your brother's soul is mine! Uh, and next will be yours! Next, which, we later find out that Liu Kang was nowhere near this. But this was a prophetic dream. Does that mean that Shang Tsung, in like a dream sequence, threatened Liu Kang, knowing that like you're gonna dream about this, and I want you to be scared as fuck? Well, the best part is I like to imagine that like he could see what was happening, and this is actually how it played out in real life. So Shang Tsung is just pointing off into the middle distance, knowing that that's the perspective that <laughs> Liu Kang is going to see it from. That has to imply that the brother also had some understanding. Like, Shang Tsung was explaining it to him while he kicked his ass. Because he does call out to Lou. You're right. Oh, fuck. So it's either... Man, this just makes Shang Tsung better. He's like, look, right there. At that spot there. That's your brother's dream camera. <laughs> Cry out in pain. Because, like, the thing is, we learned later on that that's exactly what... Not necessarily in the exact way we saw... But what happened there is what happened. And that Shang Tsung killed fucking Liu Kang's little brother, stole his soul, and was trying to do it to bait Liu Kang out of hiding, I guess, which is weird because Liu Kang is the one guy who's prophesized to win the fight, so why would you want to drag him into the fight? Oh, we learned that he ran away from his destiny and moved to America. Because he's a coward. I mean, there's a few things that I guess this movie does kind of complicate. Because I was always under the understanding that Raiden was the one who invited the Earth Fighters and Shang Tsung was in charge of the Outworld Fighters. But this movie kind of set up that Shang Tsung is inviting specifically the Earth Realm Fighters. So like, yeah, he's literally responsible for the three main protagonists from Earth Realm participating in the fight. And then after they're on the boat, that's when Raiden shows up and he's like, you are my champion. It's like, you didn't have fucking anything to do with these or, three people if, being Or does this imply that Raiden, or Raiden has to pick the champions and because it's on Shang Tsung's Island, he's responsible of inviting them? Maybe, but like, inviting is a strong word for how he got fucking uh, Sonya Blade yeah. onto that island. If anything, Liu Kang is the closest to being invited by Raiden. Well, no, that's not true. Johnny Cage is directly <laughs> invited by Shang Tsung. It's just he doesn't realize what's happening at the time. Yeah, and uh, mm -hmm. for uh, Liu Kang, he's not really invited by Raiden. It's more of he's reverse psychology didn't go here or yeah, something like, like that. Like, he was originally supposed to be the one chosen by Raiden for the prophecy, but then he ran away. Yeah. Sorry, also, I'm a surgeon. I thought you said uh, Raiden only invited uh, Liu Kang. Also, this version of Raiden is probably my favorite. Like, even with all the game stuff, this version of Raiden, played by Lambar, is probably my favorite. Just because he's got that tinge of, like, crazy trickster that's yeah, just so yeah. good. And then he just has that weird, awkward, evil laugh that he does. I know, that's the best part of him! <laughs> the best fucking part is anytime he's, like, clearly watching the humans while they're unaware, and then he just starts fucking laughing, and they're like, what is wrong with you? Like, uh, when they're on the boat and he talks about, like, you know, the end of the world and that stuff, he goes, <laughs> I'm sorry. And then leaves. <laughs> Alright, so, cutting back a little bit, so Liu Kang is formally invited, in air quotes, by Shang Tsung killing his brother and then telling him that he's going to take his soul as well. Arguably, he got the worst invite out of the three <laughs> yeah. of them. Uh, uh, actually, no, Sonya's Song, partner was killed. Yeah, so... Next we get to see how Johnny Cage gets invited, and his whole thing is he's fighting in a scene in an airport. Uh, we later find out that they're shooting a film within this film, and he's an actor within the world. 
absolute movie star, and he is really upset with the stuntmen that the director hired. He literally, like, has to tell him, this is the point when you're supposed to fall down, I just kicked you in the face. And the stuntman falls down, and then he walks off muttering about how fucking papers think I can't do any of this shit, and this is the fucking stunt double shit I gotta work with. Yeah, they, they actually do a pretty good job of keeping the characters' lures uh, from the games, like, spot on. The only one that's different is Liu Kang, because Liu Kang in the game never abandoned his destiny. He was always for it and went willingly. Yeah. And he didn't have a brother got the shit kicked out of him by Shang Tsung. Yeah, I I feel like they just wanted to put more motivation into why Liu Kang was going, because just saying he's going there to save the world feels a little bit holier yeah. than thou. And it added to a bit of a moral dilemma he had to overcome at the end. But yes, we... Johnny Cage has always been the character who makes the least sense in Mortal Kombat because his whole justification for going to the island, everyone else is going there for justice or revenge or something. Johnny Cage is just mad that people don't believe he really knows how to fight, so he decides to enter a tournament called Mortal Kombat. To be fair, I don't think they ever told him the name of the tournament in even the games. <laughs> That's fair. Regardless, he enters a tournament... Uh, between all the greatest fighters in the world, because he's convinced if he manages to win, then people will really believe he knows how to fight. I mean, to be fair, Johnny Cage has always had, like, that was always his plot motivation. Like, Mortal Kombat 2 was specifically, he comes to help rescue Sonya from Outworld because he was fed up with doing the filming on set and wanted to get away from it for a little bit. <laughs> yep. That makes perfect sense. Uh, and then we get to see Sonya, and Sonya's whole invitation is what I'm going to call it. Uh to uh, Mortal Kombat has nothing to do with anyone interacting with her. It's just the fact that Shang Tsung invited Kano, a notorious criminal underworld mob boss, uh, to the island because he knew that Sonya was tracking him and figured that was the easiest way to get Sonya to go to the island. Also, I want to talk about the scene because it's pretty wild that she just walks through this club with a shotgun and people open fire on her and she opens fire and those people keep dancing. Yeah, yeah, no one gives a fuck. No one was phased whatsoever. Fuck. So anyways, we have now had all three of them be given an excuse to get to the island. But what about Art? We're getting to Art. I'm now at the dock scene. This is where I'm at the dock scene where we're going to introduce Art because this is when Art gets introduced. Okay. So, Johnny Cage is carrying like 16 fucking suitcases up to there. When he sees In fact, I think every time we see him... Until the tournament starts, he gets more suitcases. Yeah, it's somehow. Kinda, somehow he acquires more and more suitcases. So, uh, he sees a strange man waiting on the docks. He's like, I recognize you. You're Art. I saw you fight in New York. And I, it's super cool that you're here. And Art responds. He's like, man, I've seen you fight in your movies. I don't care what the press is. I know that you can't fake moves like that. You're a real fighter. Cool. You want to come fight with me at this tournament? The best part about this is this movie is so peak 90s that going back and watching it today, not remembering the art character at all. Because I'll be honest, I forgot about art before watching this movie. How dare you? I'm sorry, but I forgot about art. Regardless, watching the movie, I saw, that's art. This is probably just a token black character they're introducing so they can kill him later on to raise the stakes, right? They're just giving us a single character with a backstory, not explaining him at all, so that they can kill him off later and we can care, right? That's what's going on. Possible. 100% what's going on. Iron is probably the most skilled fighter of the group. Which is why he dies to Goro later on. How dare you. Fuck it, it happens. He dies to Shang Tsung, honestly. I guess. Goro yeah, throws him on the ground in the Shang Tsung. 
Which is another thing I want to get into, but we're, we're not there yet. So, at this point, they all fucking get on a mysterious rowboat that just kind of pulls into harbor through the mist. God, this movie is great, but it's just a lot of getting to Mortal Kombat. So, uh, we're on a boat, and this is when the three characters are kind of getting to know each other. Actually, before they get on the boat, they all kind of have a moment of hello. In that, just uh, Luke Kang and uh, Johnny Cage. Yeah, which is where Johnny, Johnny Cage sees Luke Kang and tries to tip him to carry his bags onto the ship, and, and Luke Kang just throws his bags into the water. The thing I love about this too is because Johnny Cage has a lot of really good lines, and like it just kind of they're throwaway, but they don't seem like like forcefully cheesy. Because when he does that, he just look looks as he walks in, he's like, "Thank God I didn't ask him to park the car." <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay, <laughs> like and it's great because he's clearly. Like, he's, he seems more confused than angry about what just happened. Because he, like, continues hanging out with Luke Kang and never, like, brings up what just happened. Well, to be fair, it was kind of like, okay, that was my fault. Yeah. Uh, it's fucking great. Uh, so, yes, on the boat, uh, <coughs> Johnny just tries to fucking flirt with Sonya. Sonya has fucking none of it. She does not care. She's only here to track Kano. That's her whole reason. She even asks if they know who Kano is. He's like, I don't know who that is. I'm a movie star, baby. And she's like, cool, I'm gonna leave now. Uh, and they end up meeting two mysterious ninjas who are fighting on... Well, Shang Tsung first. Well, yes, they find Who also tries to flirt with Sonya, which there's a kind of weird subplot going on here where he's like, he wants to make make her queen, or... Yeah, I kind of get the feeling that like, from my perspective, Shang Tsung's reason for inviting the two of them, uh, Sonya and uh, Johnny Cage is he doesn't think Johnny Cage is a very good fighter, and he probably thinks that's an easy win for them if he invites Johnny Cage. And he 100% just wants to fuck Sonya Blade. That's his whole reason for inviting Sonya Blade. That, and she would also be easy for him to beat. Presumably, yeah. Which we see later on in the climax of the movie. Regardless, uh, he kind of accosts them. She's just like, fuck off. Why are you guys here gesturing towards Johnny and Liu Kang? Because she didn't radio for backup. Which is a weird thing to say, because if she did, they're not the ones who would fucking come. They are on the other end of her radio. Regardless, this is when we meet two very mysterious ninjas. One dressed in blue, one dressed in yellow. The thing I like about this is because they both walk in together. I'm like, that definitely wouldn't happen. No. Yeah, and then Shanks on the throwing lines like, hmm, mortal enemies, but under my control, they work for me. I'm like... Okay, I can accept this. I can maybe accept that if they, at least, took the effort, they at least took the effort to explain why they're not trying to kill themselves, kill each other right here. And I can get behind that. Then this is one of the things that makes me comment on how this is an objectively on the higher end of video game movies. Because they could have very easily just had them be teammates who are working for Shang Tsung and not addressed it. The fact that they're willing to address that these characters are canonically mortal enemies is actually a huge fucking plus to me in the check column for this fucking movie. So, we see them, we get some hints that there's something weird going on because fucking Scorpion holds up his hand and his palm starts to open and a snake face peeks out. Uh, but then Raiden pops down and shoots them both with lightning and he's like, you fuck right off before you do anything before Mortal Kombat. You know that's against the rules. You can't attack my guys and I'm gonna attack your guys if you do. <laughs> I'm gonna kick the shit out of your guys for trying to kick the shit out of my guys. Which, uh, also, problem with the original Mortal Kombat movie, almost everyone in the first tournament in the game is from Earthrealm. Yeah. It's 
Like, the only ones we see who aren't from Earthrealm are fucking Scorpion, fucking uh, Sub-Zero. Oh, God, that was... No, Sub-Zero's Earthrealm. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess he is canonically Earthrealm. Uh, Scorpion, Goro, and... No one else? Shang Tsung and Katana. Uh, yeah, I guess Shang Tsung tag. Well, in the first game, it's Shang Tsung and Goro are specifically the Outworld ones. We didn't know about Scorpion. He is from Earthrealm, but when he died and came back, he was a revenant from the Netherrealm. Yeah. And then in the movie, we gotta get Katana, who is also, well, a Denian, but a Denian didn't exist at this time in the game, so it didn't exist in the movies. Yeah. That's what we get. Uh, fuck. God. It takes so long to get to Mortal Kombat. And this is what I felt during the movie. I was like, I love this movie. It takes far too long to get to the Mortal Kombat section of the movie. Uh, so uh, here's a little cool thing that uh, I noticed this time through. But there's exactly eight fights throughout the movie. Like one-on-one fights. Oh, I didn't notice that. That is very fitting for a Mortal Kombat movie based on the like story mode, for lack of a better tournament mode, of the original games was eight fights. That's... Yep. And uh, Goro is the sixth fight. Shang Tsung is the eighth fight. And, and Reptile, Reptile is the seventh fight, which uh, I believe he he was the hidden character in Mortal Kombat 1. Yes. So him just randomly showing up as the hidden character was a little cool nod as well. Well, I think there was a lot of cool nods to Reptile being the hidden character because his plot device in this movie is that he's literally invisible and the others don't realize he's there. Except for that the- one horrible CG scene. Yeah. Yep. Until the very end, the other characters don't seem to recognize that he's there. He's just an invisible character who is around for the entirety of it. And is an actual reptile monster. I mean, reptile is... Reptile has always been a yeah, true, reptile. True, true. That's why he was just the palate swap. That's why he's called reptile. Um, so yeah, we get to the island. We get a fun little nod to the island not being of this earth because... Fucking Sonya's trying to radio and she complains about the fact that the radio is clearly broken because one of the transistors must have gotten fried because it's not working. And Liu Kang's like, it's not the radio. Look at your compass. And then she takes out her compass and it's just spinning in circles. And Liu Kang walks away as if that explains anything. But hold the fuck up, Liu Kang, because you were just like, that man's not Raiden. Magic doesn't exist. And I'm going to go fight this wizard. Yeah. To be fair, Liu Kang has, like, the best understanding of this because he later says... Like, as a line to the other two. Like, this is just like the legends from our childhood. And the other two are like, what legends? We don't have a combined childhood. Your childhood had legends. Explain the legends to us. And he just fucking walks away again. So, we end up climbing up a fucking mountain with Johnny Cage, like, laboriously gaining luggage over the course of the mountain climb somehow. He's carrying everyone else's luggage now. And then a comical scene of him falling down a CG staircase with his luggage tumbling away and then Liu Kang saying, need help with that? Uh, so we get into a temple-looking thing and Liu Kang shoots some flirty eyes at Katana. Katana shoots some flirty eyes back at Liu Kang. And then they walk away and Shang Tsung's just like, ooh, Katana, she could be our greatest enemy. Reptile, keep them apart. And then a statue... Until I specifically say they have to be in the same area fighting each other. Yeah, that one made no fucking sense. (laughs) No. We have to keep them apart. We can't allow them to talk to each other. Reptile, fucking keep them apart no matter what. Which he does. And then like 10 minutes later, he's like, Alright, you guys, you gotta fight each other. You gotta stand in this ring and 
It doesn't have to be to the death, uh, even though every other fight so far in this tournament has to be to the death. Hey, are you guys whispering over there? Yeah, I don't want that. Stop. Please stop. You guys just, like, you guys just like, grapple and, like, flirt and talk a little bit. All right, you know what? No, this this fight's over. You've talked too much. Fight over. Go to your rooms. <laughs> the draw. <laughs> I don't care. Liu Kang, you advance. Katana, you're no longer part of this tournament. Because fuck you. Oh, fuck. God. So... Which is weird, because that was clearly, like... I guess Liu Kang did win, but if he had the power to say it was a draw or only one of you, why would he not move Katana ahead? Because that's a win for them. Yeah, I, I don't know. But to be yeah. fair, the rules of how Mortal Kombat works doesn't actually get established anywhere. Because, like, it's... Yeah, it's one-on-one fights, but there's no, like, ladder thing. I think it's kind of like just Battle Royale, last person standing fights Goro. Yeah. That is... Very much how it's presented, with the added addendum of anyone who has won Mortal Kombat in the past can just, like, throw their hat into the ring at any point that they want. Even after the person has won the tournament. Yeah, even after the tournament has been won, fucking a previous champion can just be like, ah, I want to participate in Mortal Kombat. That looked like fun. Um, so, we are then shown to a banquet hall where they're having dinner. They're just setting up all the tables with food. And then... Moments later, they come through and just fucking throw it all over the place. Yeah. It's like the same people who just set up the tables, too. Uh, so now we see fucking Sub-Zero squaring off against just a guy. Another great part about this movie is anytime there's a fight scene, there is a solid, like, 30 seconds of the characters, like, clearly warming up for the fight by just, like, punching the air or, like, posturing or posing to get ready for the fight. Uh... And then fucking Buddy runs at Sub-Zero. Sub-Zero freezes him to death midair and kills him. Because he hits the ground and shatters. Yep. And Shanksen quietly under his breath says, Flawless victory. Which is another thing I want to address. Because they say that three times in the movie. This is the only yeah, one yeah, that has a flawless <laughs> victory. Even Liu Kang fucking says flawless victory. It's like, no, it wasn't. You got the shit kicked out of you in the first half, Liu Kang. This is not a flawless victory. If anything, this, get, this went to the one point each. And this was the third fight. God, alright. So, got my flawless victory complaint over the way. Just oh, I, I had the same problem too, because it comes up so many times. Like, no, no, there was at least three hits. Yep. Fucking. Yeah, like, because when, when Ark gets obviously killed by Goro, he but, says, flawless victory. I'm like, Ark got at least three punches. Yeah, there was yeah. one solid punch. Yeah, Goro reflect, or not reflex, but like, reacted to a punch. That is objectively not a flawless victory. You want to say his first punches didn't do damage? Fine, I would accept that. But Goro very clearly reacted to one of the punches. That was not a flawless victory. So, fucking cut to the next morning when Luke Kang has to fight a guy with spears. And Actually, that's not yet yeah. because this is when they go to explore the caves. Oh, and right, we yeah. see the Kano-Goro uh, conversation. Right, and Kano's just being an asshole and Goro's trying to explain that you have to be really careful around Shang Tsung because he likes to collect souls and anyone who gets on his bad side gets their soul collected. Well, specifically, they become his servants or slaves. And it's like, oh, well, that's not good. It's like, but they're not alive when they do it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> I feel like even after all this, Kano doesn't fully grasp the magic of the world going on. Oh, absolutely not. Because, it like, Goro has this line about everyone who does this becomes his slave. And then, like, Kano looks around. He's like, I don't see any slaves. And Goro's just like, uh-huh. It's like... Does that mean no one has ever opposed? Like, what is the point you're trying to make I right here, Goro? I don't see in this room and the world that only exists is around me. What is the point you two are trying to make right He's now? fucking just throwing the chicken legs all over the place during this conversation. 
So anyways, fucking the three protagonists get lost trying to navigate through the caves away from this conversation and end up getting in a fight with some just like random generic guards. Which is great because this movie is what established that EDM music is what Mortal Kombat needed the whole time. Oh, 100%. (laughs) This is the first time you get to see the EDM fight scene and it's fucking great. The fucking music is phenomenal in this movie. Regardless, they win the fight. Raiden shows up, like, starts clapping and then, like, giving them shit for not being good warriors. And, like, we won the fight. He's like, what were you planning on doing about those guys? And then, like, 80 people show up and they're like, oh, no, we got a fight. And Raiden's like, nah, let's just leave. And he's like, uh, 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 I don't think so. <laughs> Flashes, like, the lightning eyes and everyone just lets him leave. Which is a big deal because early on in the movie during that fight scene between fucking Scorpion, Sub-Zero, and the protagonist when uh, Raiden showed up, he had a line about, your people aren't allowed to touch the heroes uh, before the Mortal Kombat tournament or I will personally intervene. And Shang Tsung's like, you can do that before we get to the island where your domain ends, then you have no power to stop a fight from happening. And then the next fucking thing we see is Raiden stopping a fight on the island where he doesn't have domain. It might be some weird loophole where he, like, I don't have domain over fighters specifically, and these guys clearly aren't at the tournament. Yeah, that might be it. Regardless, fucking he shows up. Um, We then... Now we cut to the next morning when it's Liu Kang fighting against a guy with spears. And they fight. It's a good fight scene. There's not a lot to talk about with it. Liu Kang wins, obviously, because he's Liu Kang. Uh, He doesn't kill the guy once the guy's unconscious on the ground. Then Shang Tsung just does his, Your soul is mine! And then, like, drags the soul out of the other fighter. This is another thing I want to talk about. And then he declares fatality. Yeah, he declares fatality when he didn't kill him. Definitely wasn't a fatality if you played the games. Regardless, Shang Tsung has the line of your soul is mine or your soul will be mine multiple times. We get to see him actually steal someone's soul twice in this movie. And the people we see him do it to are the fighter in this fight and... Oh, God. How how have I already forgotten Eric's name? God. And we see him do it to Eric. He's the glue that holds this movie together. We see him do it to Art again later on in the movie. Shang Tsung talks a lot about stealing souls. Literally the only souls we see him take are black people's souls. And I don't know what it means. No? No? <laughs> no, no, because he took his brother's soul. He, we didn't actually right. see him take the soul. He happen. just said, "I your brother's soul is mine. We didn't actually see him use his soul-taking power. Well, we, we see the second half of the soul-taking power later on. We see on. him using the soul after it's been taken. We just don't... We only ever see him take souls... I just... I noticed that one. And those ancient souls were a bunch of Asian people. Yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, why don't we ever see him use the power? Like, yes, we see him, like, use the souls after they've been taken. Why don't we ever see him take anyone else's souls? He could have so many souls at this point. Also, no wonder he loses. He literally takes the souls from losers who lose the fight. Not winners who are strong and powerful, the people who lose. Fuck it. Whatever. Regardless, <laughs> we're moving on. I had to rant about that. It just bugged me. So the next fight we see... Yeah, the next fight we see is Kano versus Sonya. Uh, fucking... Sonya has already, like, overheard a line where fucking Shang Tsung said he's got secret romantic plans for Sonya. Except yep. he didn't use the word romantic, but he very heavily implied the word romantic. Yeah. So he informs Sonya that he's got a gift for her. Sonya's just, like, not having it. She's like, I don't want your fucking flowers. What if it was 
murder. And Shankson's like, oh, trust me, you've been looking for this a long time. And then he, like, does the finger wave, and fucking Kano comes walking out. I know all your moves, Sonya. The best part is, like, another thing we overheard earlier on during that scene where fucking the three of them were spying on a conversation. But Shankson explicitly said, Kano, you're not allowed to hurt Sonya in the slightest. You just have to humiliate the shit out of her. How? If he's not allowed to hit her, how is he going to humiliate her other than just letting her kill yeah. him? Also, Kano pulls out a knife at the beginning of the fight. He's like, ah, you recognize this? And Sonya's like, no. Why, why would I recognize that? He's like, oh, right, you and but your partner would. Huh? Your dead ah. partner, who I jokered, he would certainly <laughs> notice it. Also, I think there, there's quite a few things that like are amazing about this movie that ended up affecting the games. For example, Electro Syndrome. Uh, which uh, ended up becoming the theme song of Mortal Kombat as a whole, but never actually showed up in the game until Mortal Kombat 11. On top of that, the fact that Kano is Australian is also because of this 100% movie. 100% because of this movie. Yeah, Kano in the games was just some American guy. But because the actor in this movie was Australian and didn't want to change, like, hide his accent, he's like, fuck it, I'm doing what I want. It just ingrained in everyone that Kano is Australian to the point that retroactively in the games now, Kano is Australian. Yeah. So, Sonya kills Kano. No chance to steal his soul because he's already dead and we already know you can only steal souls from living people, apparently. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I'd want Kano's soul, honestly. That's fair. The best part about this is we then get to see the third fight. Which is Johnny Cage versus Scorpion. Which is just randomly in the woods somewhere. Uh, uh, honestly, this is a really great fight, though. I think this was my favorite fight, fight-wise, anyway. Yeah. Compared to the previous two. Yeah. Yeah. The thing I fucking love about this is the first round of fights is Johnny Cage, not or Johnny Cage, Luke Kang versus Nameless Henchman, Sonya Blade versus other Earthrealm resident Kano, and Johnny Cage versus fucking scorpion one of them got the short end of the stick also, there and it was scorpion so yes. me, it didn't even seem like a sanctioned fight because it just started in the woods without anyone around so and they, the two were going at it they didn't explain this well in the movie but how it works is mortal Kombat is start to finish constant and the island is the tournament area so yeah you just have to have, defeat people. okay doesn't have to happen in a specific ring or anything it's just like if which they don't do again they don't do a good job example because the last two fights were in specific rings because like we're gonna meet here and do these fights <laughs> but there's like three fights that don't follow these rules yeah one of them takes place in hell whatever we're moving on <laughs> that's not on Shanksville's Island <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh fucking Johnny Cage wins his fight against Scorpion all is well with the world with his fatality I might add oh that's true he does win it with the fatality <laughs> because in the games, Johnny Cage, like it's what I think it's probably his oldest fatality that stays in the game. Where it's to my biggest fan, Johnny Cage, he mm -hmm. kicks the shit out of the person, and with the fatality, if you kill them with it, he throws that photo onto them. Yeah, and we see that photo get thrown onto Scorpion's corpse. Yeah. Um. Anyways, uh, the next fight that we get to see is Liu Kang versus Katana, uh, which uh, we've already dressed. Not really a fight. It's just kind of the two of them flirting with each other while also. Katana repeatedly saying, you have to fight with your whole heart. If you're not fighting to kill, you're not going to Use the win. thing that gives life. Yeah. In, in your next the fight, use the element that gives life. Which, I mean, strong choice for her because I would argue all of the elements are required for life. Sure, water gives life, but like, take away oxygen. Shit is still not going to live. I think that means you use oxygen. Blow on them. 
Blow him real hard. No, not blow him. Blow on him. Sorry. Oh, no, he sub-zero uses ice. Maybe I need fire. Got one of these torches and oh, dear God. Next thing we see uh, is fucking Raiden once again putting his thumb on the scale and not letting the fight just be it. By him, like, mopping the floor with two buckets of water and then just leaving them in the middle of where he knows the next fight is going to happen. And then just disappears. And then just fucks off. Yeah. Uh, so, Liu Kang kind of gets the shit kicked out of him by Sub-Zero in the first half. And then he trips on one of those buckets of water and he's like, oh, right. That thing I was told maybe 15 minutes ago in-universe, I have to use the element that brings life. Water is the element that brings life. Meanwhile, Sub-Zero is powering up some big freeze attack and has a big force field of cold air around him. He's just kind of like standing there watching Liu Kang have this revelation that water is how he's going to win this fight. But this is also probably my one big issue with the movie as well. And that's, if there's anything I learned from this scene of Liu Kang throwing the bucket of water at Sub-Zero, killing Sub-Zero, it's that no one knew what to do with Sub-Zero like pre-Mortal Kombat 4. Oh yeah. He was just the menacing guy that was there and, like, didn't know how to use him in the movies, couldn't beat him in the video game. Sub-Zero just exists. It was very clear that the writers had no idea how to handle the Sub-Zero character. They were like, we have to put this character in because if we don't put this character in, fans of the game are going to riot. We need this character in this movie. I don't understand how we put this character in the movie. And not have him be overpowered as fuck. Yeah, not have him win lit... Like, literally, how he won the first fight is how he should have won every single fight. Because yeah. if you freeze your opponent solid, there's not much they can do at that point. Especially considering, at this point, the powers we've established for the main characters is Liu Kang is kind of very vague about fantasy shit. Johnny Cage, he, if he has, like, a saw blade, he can be pretty good, I guess. He can dodge Scorpion's spear. And Sonya just breaks necks. Yep. And sometimes has a gun. So clearly they had to do a little bit of fancy writing to have it so that Liu Kang won the fight. Fuck it. Whatever. You know what could have been useful? Have establishing his fire powers earlier. Yeah. Or his dragon powers. That, that'd that be great too. That was until Mortal Kombat 2. I know. It was also addressed in Mortal Kombat Annihilation and it did not go over well. I would have liked if he would have summoned an arcade machine to kill somebody. <laughs> if he summoned an arcade machine, I'd be alright with that. Is that, that another fatality? That was one that, of his fatalities. Okay. He literally crushes his opponent with an arcade machine. Mortal Kombat arcade machine, funny enough. <laughs> Specifically. A little bit world-breaking, whatever. Um, so, Liu Kang wins this fight. Now is when fucking Shang Tsung clearly is getting a bit nervous because all of his great champions have been defeated. So That guy, Kano, Scorpion, Katana, I guess. Sub-Zero. Yep. Three of them he cares about, probably. Cares is a strong word for Shang Tsung, but it's the word I'm choosing to stick with. So, now is when he calls out his fucking trump card, the card that's going to win every single fight for the rest of this series, Goro. And then we just get a montage of people being fucking annihilated by Goro. We should probably also address, we mentioned that the CGI is a little bit hit or miss in this movie. Goro... Goro and Reptile are the two most egregious uses of CGI. Goro oh, is mostly puppeteering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's puppeteering. And honestly, even today, it doesn't look that bad. Like, it's, yeah. it looks it doesn't up pretty look, well. It doesn't look perfect because they had to cover some of the puppeteering with CGI. Yeah. Reptile is the significantly worse because he is pure 100 It looks like he escaped from Reboot. Yeah. He's 100% yeah. fucking... <laughs> Like, they pasted 3D graphics that were poorly made over top of it. Like, it looked like they used Microsoft Movie Maker to make the reptile features. 
Regardless, uh, this is when we see Goro defeat Art. Not kill Art, just defeat Art, and then Shang Tsung take his soul. Uh, and now the three heroes need to talk to each other about what they're going to do. And Raiden explains that they need to defeat their fear. They all have fears. Sonya's yeah. fear is asking for backup. Raiden gets way too close to her when he explains that detail to her. <laughs> Johnny Cage's fear is the fear that he's not good enough in a fight, so he will rush into a fight without thinking about it. And Liu Kang's fear is his destiny. We've already addressed this. But I like the fact that he tells Johnny Cage and Sonya what their fears are and just starts fucking walking away. And Liu Kang's like, what about me? Tell me my fear. He's like, you already know what you're... I told you at the beginning of the movie you're afraid of your destiny. Do I have to rewrite it over? Remember when you called me a beggar in that temple with all those monks watching? Remember when I kicked your ass in front of your friends and family? Remember that? Want me to do it again? I'll uh, take you back to the temple, kick your ass again, and bring you back. Uh, so Johnny hearing that the fear he has to overcome is his fear of losing a fight that causes him to rush into a fight without thinking, he immediately, immediately thinks, I'm going to go challenge Goro to a fight. True. Although... I think they, they, they probably did this a bit wrong. They probably should have focused on he doesn't think about what he's doing. He just does it. Mm. Because, he, yes, he rushes into the fight. But he actually thought about this fight. He has a very clear plan for this fight. I right. So, I commented on this movie being peak 1990s because of Art's whole existence in this movie. That was not the most 1990s moment in this movie. The most 1990s moment in this movie is the start of the fight between Johnny Cage and Goro, where Johnny Cage does the splits and then punches Goro in the nuts and Goro's eyes cross and he goes, Aah! I mean, to be fair, that's shot for shot the game. Yep. Johnny Cage has the move called the nut punch and yep. he's always had that move. In fact, Cassie Cage, his daughter, inherited that move. Yeah, I know. It's still the most 1990s <laughs> thing that happens in this fucking movie. Oh, yeah. So... Johnny Cage punches him in the nuts and then runs away. Uh, actually, I th thinking about it too, I think Johnny Cage, funny enough, gets most of his stuff from the games brought over. Yeah, he seems like the most direct translation to the movies. Also, he specifically takes out uh, Scorpion and Goro. He takes out arguably the two biggest threats. Liu Kang takes out the other two who could be considered big threats, being fucking Shang Tsung and fucking Sub-Zero. Yeah, but you can fucking grapple Shang Tsung in the games. You couldn't do that to Goro. No, absolutely not. So, that's why I'm saying Johnny Cage definitely took up the two biggest threats. And Shang Tsung, or not Shang Tsung, Liu Kang took up the next two biggest threats. And fucking Sonya Blade also participated in the fighting. Yeah, Sonya was yeah. very underused. Yeah. Uh, fuck it. So... At this point... Goro's really mad now and is chasing Johnny Cage. Well, the fight starts off with a pretty funny thing of, like, he grabs the glasses off of him. Oh, yeah. And then crushes them. And then, obviously, when they're running off and he comes up to the uh, cliffside, he's like, where'd he go? And <laughs> Johnny Cage fucking kicks him in the face. Like, hey, asshole, those are $300 sunglasses. And then he fucking starts slipping and sliding on the cliff. He's hanging on by two hands. Johnny Cage has a callback to the beginning of the movie. He's like, this is the part where you fall. And then Goro's just like, oh, okay, and just lets go and falls. Now, there is something important to mention here, because after that conversation with Raiden where it's talking about their fears and he makes this plan, and they kind of hint at the romantic relationship between Sonya and Johnny, when he's talking to Shang Tsung, challenging Goro, he's like, oh, you weren't supposed to fight him for at least four more matches. You must have a death wish, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, fine, I'll let you do this, but if you do this, then I get to challenge the winner afterwards for the last fight of Mortal Kombat. My choice, my location. And the Rain's like, no, don't do that! Like, making a big deal about it. And Ching's like, haha, I win. And then he's like, Johnny, what have you done? 
But the part that's great about this is after he's like, well, I gotta go, you know, make my own destiny. This is a fight about mortals, not yeah. gods. And he walks off, and then Raiden does like, <laughs> at least one of them's getting it. <laughs> Implying that he just not only fooled Johnny Cage, but also tricked Shang Tsung into doing exactly what he wanted. <laughs> so, Shang Tsung then challenge, uh, walks out, and they're all like, oh, fuck, it's time for Liu Kang to fight Shang Tsung. Cheng Shun's like, alright, it's time for my challenge. Well, before that, he actually grabs Sonya and runs off. Which, Sonya was next to Liu Kang, because it happens immediately after the Goro fight. So he grabbed Sonya, but Liu Kang there took off and like, fuck, I gotta wait for Johnny, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so they then address him next to a giant ominous portal to Oatworld. Also, does this technically mean that Johnny Cage was the winner of Mortal Kombat? Uh... Because Shang Tsung entering is technically not part of that tournament, but he inserts himself because he can. If he chooses to insert himself, would that not take the place of one of the spots that was supposed to be filled by another fight? I guess it's the same argument as Tekken 2, where technically uh, Paul Phoenix won the tournament by defeating... uh, Darn, what was that monster called? Whatever, he defeats the final boss, and he's like, yeah, I won, and leaves, but the boss was actually defeated and got back up, and then the next person beat him. (laughs) I think technically Liu Kang still won due to the shenanigans of Shang Tsung entering the fight and then Johnny refusing the challenge, which we'll get to, so... Well, he doesn't. Technically, regardless. Fucking... It's more of Liu Kang's though. Fuck you, I'm doing it! Yeah. So, this is the part that, like, starts to make less sense, so... Well, that's because Mortal Kombat 1 ended and they decided, you know what we're gonna do for the last 20 minutes of the movie? Mortal Kombat 2. Yeah. So... He grabs her, takes her to a portal next to world. He's like, time for my challenge. I challenge Sonya Blade in a world. And then like falls backwards through the portal. And fucking Liu Kang and fucking Johnny Cage are there talking to Raiden. They're like, is there like any chance that she wins? And Raiden's like, oh, fuck, no. <laughs> no, nah, that, that's beyond. She barely beat Kano. You think she's going to beat Shang Tsung? <laughs> So, like, you, you gotta do something. <laughs> she fought one person on this island. And fucking Johnny's like, oh no, we're fucked then. And he's like, well, maybe, but there's something we're forgetting. And Luke Hank's like, she has to accept the challenge. He's like, but, like, didn't you make a deal where he gets to challenge whoever he wants after? Like, does she actually have to accept the challenge? I mean, that it's still uh, the fact that he, to be fair, he said specifically he could challenge whoever he wanted, not fair. that that was the fight. Fair. <laughs> Regardless, he makes his challenge. They jump through the portal now knowing that Sonya can refuse the challenge. I enjoy how Sonya just figures out on her own that she could refuse the challenge. Well, that's, I guess that's supposed challenge. to be her figuring out that she's calling for backup. Ah, that's her overcoming her fear and trusting that someone... Yeah, instead of taking it into her own hands, she's like, I'll wait for the person who beat the giant formed monster, the Iceman, and the man that shot worms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which leads to my favorite fight scene in this entire movie... Which is Liu Kang versus Reptile. It is a really good fight. The mm-hmm. reason it's my favorite fight is because we know, as we've already addressed, there are eight fights because they wanted to fit the game. Uh, and they're all individual fights. Which means that for this scene to work, Johnny Cage has to watch Reptile get, a, a Reptile get thrown into a like mummy suit that turns him into a human being. And then that Reptile kicks Liu Kang through a wall. And Johnny Cage just fucking's like, all right, I'll just sit here and wait for this to resolve itself. <laughs> yeah. There's no Mortal Kombat. I can't help you defeat him. I mean, even leading up to it, Johnny Cage was watching Liu Kang walk over to Wall. He's like, what are you doing? Hey, what are you doing? 
What are you doing over there? Like, there is no reason for him to assume that this lizard is somehow a part of Mortal Kombat. It could have just been a denizen of Oatworld. Kind of like the fucking fighters they fought in the first scene. There's no reason this has to be a one-on-one fight in Johnny Cage's mind. Which means Johnny Cage is just like, uh, I just fought Goro, man. Like, fuck it. I I mean, he did just fight Goro. <laughs> I'm just going to fucking watch this play out. Ah, no. So, they also meet Katana. Katana explains that there are three challenges they'll have to beat if they want to ascend the Dark Tower where Which, Sonya's it, being kept. I, why this is here, it, it's not that important. We no. could have just got to the fight. Yeah. You have to defeat your enemy, you have to defeat yourself, and you have to defeat your fear. Yeah. Sure. Okay, cool. There we go. We're into the final fight scene. Yeah, and Sonya's also changed clothing at this point when she's changed up. Which does... For those of you who don't like to think about these details, I'm going to force you to think about it. It does mean that the denizens of Oatworld stripped Sonya and changed her clothes to prepare her for the final fight. So she would match that one stage in Mortal Kombat 2. Yeah. Uh, so we get into the fight scene. Fucking Shang Tsung realizes that the others are here. She's like, fine, fine, fine. I won't challenge Sonya. Fucking- well, it's more of like... Uh, Sonya, will you accept my challenge? She's like, no! And then he's like, seize them. I win because blah blah blah. Then Katana's like, no you don't, because that's cheating. And fuck my father, I guess. And he's like, fine then. Johnny Cage! And the king's like, no, it's gonna be me. Which I like to think Johnny Cage was going to accept that one. Yeah, Johnny Cage didn't say no, and then Liu Kang is just like, no. I, he doesn't even say it's going to be me. He says, I challenge you, Shang Tsung, and you can't refuse or else you'll forfeit. And it's just like, why is he not allowed to refuse, but all of you are allowed to refuse? Yeah, because, there's, uh, uh, to be fair, this one I did think about, and it's because uh, there's the last fight has to be Outworld versus Earthrealm. So and he refuses the challenge. Essentially, when they refuse, they're stepping down and not uh, being willing to fight in the final yeah, fight. Yeah, so by Sona, refuse, Sona refusing, she effectively lost the tournament. Yeah, and then Johnny Cage, even though he didn't explicitly refuse, by Luke Kang refusing for him, Johnny Cage also technically lost... So, or more so, I guess, where Liu Kang challenged him directly, where if Johnny Cage says no or not, if he specifically refuses to fight Liu Kang, loses that world. Yeah. That does make a bit more sense. It was one of those things where I got caught off guard. It's It's because there's no ladder in this tournament. It's represented by a fucking tower in the game. (laughs) Like, literally, it's just them deciding to throw fights onto the table to the point where, like, early fights... Are Earthrealm versus Earthrealm. Why is that a thing when it's all about who wins, Earthrealm or Oatworld? Again, the Earth, the first game, had zero Outworld characters on the team. It's just... It was another realm, and then everyone else was Earthrealm. Shang Tsung is Earthrealm. Yes, but they explicitly explain that fucking Scorpion, Sub-Zero, and Goro are all fighting on behalf of Outworld, as well as Shang Tsung. Let's watch a bunch of Earthrealmers fight amongst each other to kick each other out of the fucking tournament. Makes perfect sense. That'll definitely strengthen your odds of winning the tournament as a whole. Yeah. Alright. Fuck. So. Liu Kang versus Shang Tsung. It mostly starts with Liu Kang just running up some stairs. Well, no. Because first he's like, you gotta defeat your enemy, which is all those shadow people pop up. Right. So he defeats them. Yeah. Then he starts running up the stairs. Yeah, it's because Shang Tsung's at the top. He's like... Fight me, Liu Kang, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you must defeat your self. And then he's like, no, I'm going to go fight you up there. And he runs up the stairs. Uh, no, it was Shang Tsung saying, I've seen your soul. 
and Liu Kang responding, You may have seen my soul, but you'll never own it. Therefore, Liu Kang won the fight against himself somehow. Yeah. And then he has to fight his fear, which is Shang Tsung turns around in the form of his younger brother and is like, why'd you let me die? And Liu Kang has to be like, no, you cut that shit up right now. He almost believes it, though, which is the most wild thing in these movies. When the person in front of the person Mm -hmm. changes shape, in my mind, this could have been so much better if when that chaos downstairs of all those, like, previous soul warriors fighting him... That Shang Tsung was down there too and took the form of the brother, that would have been much better because it puts in that possibility yeah. that it's oh, his brother. That absolutely would have made more sense. But we needed to get Shang Tsung and Liu Kang to the top of the stairs because the way Liu Kang defeats Shang Tsung is by kicking him off into spikes that Shang Tsung made up here because he was hoping to kick Liu Kang off, from what I understand. Yeah. Which leads to the third time that someone says flawless victory. To which is not a fucking flawless yeah, victory. Yeah, Shang Tsung literally beat Liu Kang to the ground. Yeah. yeah. Liu Kang gets back up, does his fire blast, and then he's like, flawless victory. No, 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 Liu Kang. No. It's not a, you don't just get to decide that the fight starts once you're winning. No, the, the fight was happening up until that point. You weren't winning flawlessly. So, all of our three protagonists and Raiden go back to the temple. And Katana. And Katana, you're right. Uh, go back to the temple where Liu Kang was hanging out at the beginning of the movie. And they're like, oh, great, we saved the world. So it'll be at least ten more generations before Old World can even invade. Because they got to win ten more fucking tournaments again. And then the tower crumbles to the ground and we see the face of fucking... Shao Kahn. Shao Kahn. Shao Kahn's like, ah, oh, Earthrealm, I'm here to invade you. Which is one of the things I love. Because they were 100% confident they were getting a sequel out of this I movie. I mean, they did. They absolutely yep. did. I just love the confidence that they're getting a sequel. Uh, so yeah, very heavy-handed reference to Shao Kahn broke the rules. He may not have won 10 in a row, but he's going to invade Earthrealm anyways. Yeah, so for the games, how the story goes is Mortal Kombat 1's on the island. They come back. Shang Tsung, defeated, makes a new plan with uh, Shao Kahn. And it's like, what we're going to do is we're going to get rid of the Mortal Kombat tournament and challenge him to one last Mortal Kombat tournament. Now, winner take all, and if Outworld loses, we can no longer invade Earthrealm. That's Mortal Kombat 2. And to force them to accept that rule, they kidnap Sonya. Now, hmm. you can decide if that was worth it to do that tournament versus the life of Sonya, considering that could have gone really bad. Yeah. Yeah. But they end up winning, and then Shao Kahn says, Fuck it, I'm going to resurrect my wife in Earthrealm, and that I can legally go into their place to retrieve her. And while I'm there, if I loot a few things and take over, can't be helped. That's Mortal Kombat 3. Which is kind of the plot of Annihilation. Yeah. Because, uh, as I said before, they kind of siphoned off the whole plot of Mortal Kombat 2 to the last 20 minutes of this movie. Well, they realized they got six fights in and didn't have anywhere to go for the last two, so they were just like, eh, fuck it, let's throw the plot of Mortal Kombat 2 out to the end of this one. Yeah, and I said uh, only two actors came back for the second movie, but here's a fun thing. Did you know there was the third Mortal Kombat movie that was planned in this trilogy, and it actually was almost made, but Hurricane Katrina broke all the sets, and then it got into like a limbo? That never got finished. Oh, no. I knew that it was planned and it got scrapped. I didn't realize it got scrapped because of Katrina. Yeah, it destroyed most of the sets and they lost a lot of money because of it and stuff like that. And it kind of went into, like, production hell for a bit and then it just stopped. But uh, Lambert and Ashby were actually going to return for this movie. That's fantastic. And also, apparently, uh, Shang Tsung was going to return as well. Good. I... 
We've addressed this before. We both kind of realized me and Keith at the very yeah, least. Shanks is the best part of this movie. Shanks is 100% the best part of this movie. To the fact that they realized he was such an important thing that when Mortal Kombat 11 came out, Mortal Kombat 11 really paid homage to this movie a lot. Uh, for example, The Crypt, which is in most of the games where you collect all the, you know, extra costumes and artwork and all that stuff. The whole Crypt of Shanks Island, and it's just nothing but references to this movie. The fact that you see Kano at a table with a chicken wing in his arm, but he's a skeleton with the middle eye, right? Oh, okay. Or uh, the fact that they literally got the actor back who played Shang Tsung to model him after, uh, to get the Shang Tsung character in the game modeled after him, and use the voice lines such as, Your soul is mine. <laughs> Clearly the makers of Mortal Kombat 11 were as much a fan of the movie as we were. And 11 is the first game that actually introduced a techno syndrome into the game universe, essentially. Yeah. Even though we've all accepted that is the theme track for the series, this is the first time it's actually appeared in the mainline series. Yeah. Do we want to just address Annihilation at all? I just, like, the main, my main issue with it at the very least is... We kind of addressed the fact that CGI is not a huge thing in this movie. There was a little bit of compositing with uh, Reptile, tiny bit with fucking Goro, and then fucking Scorpion's hand and Sub-Zero's ice powers. Those were kind of the only instances we saw of any CGI. Well, it's... I Honestly, like, even though people like to shit on like Paul Anderson and like the way he approaches them... He, I honestly believe that he does enjoy these games and oh. knows what is going on, and he changes them to what makes sense within movie without kind of shitting on the concepts of stuff. And you, I think that shines through a lot with Annihilation, where Mortal Kombat One, it's very much the person who knows what's going on. They, they knew they had to say, "Oh yeah, Scorpion subs are enemies," but I'm controlling both of them with my great power. Yeah. <laughs> but the second one makes some of the craziest choices with things, and. The biggest fault with it is the plot doesn't actually... There's nothing really going on. Yeah. It's more, the world's going to be destroyed in three days. Let's watch a bunch of we, fights. We need to get Katana next to Sindel. Katana was in the same area as fucking Sindel like five minutes ago. Why did you do it there? Yeah. And then they all kind of go to different places on the planet to come back together in three days. And none of those have payoff aside from, I guess, Jax joins the team. And Liu Kang finds out about his animality. Yeah. So, what I was trying to address is... The first one, they clearly didn't trust the CGI enough, and they were like, this isn't going to age well, let's not put as much of it in as possible. The second one came out, and they were like, nah, fucking CGI, this is peak level. We're going to throw in as much as we can, to the point where Luke Kang turns into a fucking dragon, and it just looks so bad. Yeah, there's a fight between a dragon and a hydra. Oh my god. Which is Shao Kahn's animality and Luke Kang's animality, and they fight. Uh, but it gets, like, the wildness about this is the fact, well, one thing I will give credit to this movie. Some of the fight scenes are cool. Yep. They use Sonya much better. 100%. Uh, take aside the fact that the only two female characters in the movie have a mud wrestling fight. Yep. <laughs> but the thing about this is... Jax is a big example of this. He, When we find him, he's laying on the medical bed, and he had the surgery on his arms. And he's like, I got enhanced. And it's like, okay, that's why he's laying in the medical bed. But later, he just rips them off like they're sleeves? Because yeah. the power was in him the whole time? Yeah. What? That... That scene in particular is one of my, like, most egregious ones. It's fucking him being like, man, my strength doesn't come from my metal arms. It comes from my heart. I'm going to remove my metal arms and show that I've been hiding real arms underneath them all along. What? You've been referring to them as metal arms, not metal sleeves this entire goddamn time. Or the other thing of, uh, obviously, Shao Kahn's about to merge the worlds, and then the Elder Gods finally show up. And then what do they fucking do? It's like, Shao Kahn, you violated Mortal Kombat. So... 
To rectify this, we declare Mortal Kombat. What? <laughs> I there's also like so many like weird choices. Like we need to spread out across the world to solve all these problems. Time for the hamster ball run throughout the tunnels that run throughout the entire world. Or the fact that Shao Kahn, the leader of Outworld, is undermined completely in this movie because his father is like the—he's trying to like appease his father. Is literally what he's trying to do. Yep. It's all it's the whole story. Shao Kahn is motivated purely by I want to impress my father, who is also Raiden's father. That's not how it is in the games. It yes, yeah. Shao Kahn and Raiden are the same type of being. Yeah, but this makes them literally directly related in this movie when. That's like just saying like the fact that these two people are human. They're actually brothers just because it ties the plot together more nicely. Also, Johnny Cage dies in the first 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. I don't believe that actually happens Gets in actual snapped, lore. Like, oh, my God. Actually, Johnny Cage does die in the games. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Johnny Cage dies in Mortal Kombat 3 because he's stabbed with the chest by Motaro, I believe. Uh, yes. But then that gets rectified in the reboot series because Raiden gets... Premonitions of the past, and it's like, wait, uh, it, it actually, it's funny enough because in Mortal Kombat Nine, uh, was it? Yeah, Nine, specifically, where he's getting these visions, he's he's fighting someone on a bridge, and then you see a flashback vision of like that happening. He's like, wait, one moment, you see him fly off and slam through a bridge on the other side, <laughs> and that's where Motaro is fighting Johnny Cage. <laughs> so he fucking just punches Motaro off the bridge. <laughs> hey, Mortal Kombat's great. Hold that thought. I have some divine intervention to uh, to strike out. Pretty much. But yeah, oh, it's a stupid movie, but I love it so much. It's not, not, not Annihilation, the original one. I actually do oh, not yeah. like, uh, like, I'll watch Annihilation, but I don't enjoy it. Yeah, I'm in a very similar, so I, when I was growing up, owned both these movies on VHS. I got to the point where I couldn't watch the original VHS because I had watched it so many times that it was fucking getting eroded. You know how it happens with VHSs. Annihilation was still in... Pretty much pristine condition, because I only watched it when I got to the point where I had just finished watching Mortal Kombat, but wanted to watch it again, and was like, I can't justify rewinding it just to watch it a second time. Fine, I guess I'll watch Annihilation. The first movie is an objectively silly movie that I fucking love, and this Annihilation is an okay movie. That might be giving it a little too much credit. Fair. Well, it certainly sounds like... Uh, don't. Don't you dare. I, I was going to say, it certainly sounds like my decision to not watch it is justified. Okay. <laughs> but, like, cadence you had in your voice felt like you were building to an egregious pun. Uh, uh, to be fair, I was actually curious to see where this is going, because, like, what fucking pun is he going to pull this <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. Oh, I oh. do enjoy how we both thought he was building to a Oh, pun. yeah, 100%. Oh, no, I, d I didn't mean to pull your arm on that like Jax did. <laughs> That was just bad. <laughs> Alright, do we have a question? Alright, here's one. Not counting... No, fuck it. Whatever you want. In your mind, what is the most enjoyable video game movie to watch? Not, the, like, the best translation from video game to screen. But just what is the most objectively fun video game movie to watch? A clarification question for this. Sure. Live action only... I'll allow animated. Because there's a lot of really good animated uh, ones. Oh no, fuck it. Now that I think about it and think about what that includes. Advent Children, the Resident Evil animated ones. No, we're limiting this to fucking live action. I gotta cut it off somewhere and I'm cutting it off in live action. Tekken Bloodline Rebellion. Fair. 
I'm gonna say that's another animated one. Oh fuck! I know. <laughs> oh. I'm just saying, there's a lot. Like, I can't think of a bad, like, directly in universe video game movie. Yeah, I'm gonna. Say I want a live be- action video game movie. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna say because I haven't watched the Monster Hunter one yet, so I can't say for certain. Despite thinking it's gonna be absolutely terrible, I'm not looking for a terrible one. I'm looking for a fun one. Yeah, yet. that's why I'm gonna say Sonic because uh, it's relatively. You mean the highest grossing superhero movie of 2020? Yeah. Yeah. Because it was actually really good. Sorry, no, sorry, that's a super comic book. Yeah. Keith, what's your vote? Oh, man, I actually, I, I aggressively do watch a lot of, like, these uh, video game movies. And I, it's kind of hard to say because I'd say there's three that I thoroughly enjoy. It, it Consider it cheating if you want, but obviously Mortal Kombat. Yep. The first Resident Evil movie. There. And the most recent Hitman movie. Agent 47 uh, was Zach Quinto because yeah. that was a really fun movie. It was like Reverse Terminator. No, I completely forgot about those movies. My vote was... A special shout out to Dead or Alive. <laughs> uh, my vote was going to be... Oh, fuck. You reminded me of Dead or Alive. That's such a fun movie. It is. It's not a good movie, but it's a fun also, movie. Also, funny enough, uh, if you've watched Dead or Alive, the pirate at the beginning and the end of the movie for like the joke of like he tries to rob the same woman twice... Is the guy that plays Liu Kang in this movie. Wait, wait, I want to change my answer. Surf Ninjas. It's not a video game movie. Yeah, it is. It was It was a movie that made a video game afterwards, wasn't True. it? True. Well, the video game was planned before the movie. The movie was made for the video game, but the movie came out before the video game. So it's a video game movie of a game that didn't come out until after the movie. I'll allow it, I guess. It's a video game movie for a video game that has yet to be released. It's essentially the longest commercial for a video game that's never been made. Pretty much. Uh, it's like saying, like, I, I like E.T. because of the E.T. Nintendo Entertainment System game. <laughs> Except, no, you're not allowed to say that. You're never allowed to say that. Um, so, I was torn between two. I still am torn between two. Uh, the first Resident Evil movie, absolutely. Uh, and then I... You brought up Dead or Alive, and now I... It's a fun movie. I Yeah, you've pushed me over the edge. I'm 100% putting my vote for Dead or Alive. You know it was another fun but bad one? The Far Cry movie. Oh, I haven't seen the first. Oh, it's it's fucking wild, man. <laughs> I'm gonna have to look into it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, recommendations. What do we got for recommendations, Matt? I was going to recommend a old 1985 action video movie that Call I the Surf Ninjas. No. Never heard of it. <laughs> Called uh, Remo Williams. <laughs> the adventure begins. Because I remembered enjoying it as a kid. I rewatched it last night. Not what I remember. Don't watch it. It's bad. Fair. <laughs> so I'm gonna recommend The Forbidden Kingdom, a Jackie Chan and Jet Li movie about a kid who uh, gets transported back to ancient China when he finds a ornate staff in a pawn shop. And he is then involved in a... Uh, kind of journey to return the staff to the Monkey King, who was prisoned in stone by an evil warlord of the time. Fair. Uh, Keith? Uh, So I'm actually going to recommend the video game Mortal Kombat 11, because it is actually probably one of the... I would say it is the funnest uh, Mortal Kombat game that exists. The story is a bit... eh, honestly, but it's definitely the most defined of what Mortal Kombat is. And again, it pays a lot of homage to the game. The fact, uh, sorry, the movie, which I actually went back and played a bit because I watched the movie. I was like, man, I want to play Mortal Kombat 11. 
Very fair. Uh, I'm actually going to recommend uh, a 2006 film, also starring Jet Li, uh, coincidentally enough. Is it the one? Uh, no, it's Fearless. Oh, uh, it's one where he's uh, essentially fighting through Japanese history. Uh, another one with very enjoyable fight scenes inside of it. Um, yeah, it's actually super enjoyable. Anyways, that's recommendations. Uh, now, I feel like there's one thing we have to point out just because, but... Obviously, we wanted to do the new Mortal Kombat movie that was coming out, but it did get delayed, and uh, unfortunately, we didn't catch it in time that it was. So, we will still be doing that, but we're going to release it as, like, a mini-episode. Uh, yeah. Probably some point next week. We're going to try and watch it pretty much as soon as it comes out, maybe the day after, uh, and still record an episode about it. Mostly because of the fact that we just really want to watch this movie yeah. and that'll give us an excuse to watch this movie. I don't need an excuse. You can yeah. be like, no, fuck you, we're not doing this episode. I'd still watch it and then talk about yeah. it in the next episode. But this is something we were all looking to watching and talking about during the podcast. So we figure, fuck it, it got delayed. Let's still just do a podcast about it. Anyways. Just delayed and shortened. All right. Uh, did anyone figure out our clue on Instagram? Nope. Uh, no one has guessed it correctly. Alright, uh, in that case, uh, thank you guys for listening to our podcast today. Remember that you can always find our podcast on all major pl- uh, plot, all major podcasting platforms, uh, as well as on YouTube. Make sure to reach out to us on Instagram, or you can always shoot us an email at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. Uh, if you have questions that you want us to ask, if you figure out what our topic is and want us to ask a question about that topic, shoot us an email and we'll fucking discuss your fucking thing for our topic. <laughs> oh god, that's a lot. Uh, <laughs> I mean, do it, but oh, I'm already exhausted by the thought of that happening. Uh, also, if you have ideas for what we could record a podcast about, also shoot us an email. Once again, that email is whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. All of those words are spelled the way words normally are. And make sure you tune in for tune in, in a fortnight to hear our next topic. Yep. Uh, for our next topic, we're going to finally patch up your guys' relationship, I guess. Uh, what do you have to say about that? Are you guys just having a staring contest? Snap out of it. Fuck. Fuck.